Hello. Uh, it's the night of August 7th, Monday. I'm with, I'm with Connor, uh, myself, Austin here. Uh, we lost kind of a, a, a titan today in, in film, William, William Friedkin, director of, you know, The Exorcist, French Connection, Bug, uh, Cruising, bunch bunch of cool stuff, right? And 87 years old, really sucks. And Connor and I both felt like tonight we should uh, kind of have a, a bit of a first thoughts on, you know, looking back on his life and looking back on his, his work. Mainly uh, for, for Connor and I, it's, it's, it's the exorcist and French connection. It's that one, two, 1971, 1973 uh, also sorcerer rules, but those, those two from the early seventies are so iconic and so important to both of us. Uh, we felt like we, we just had to, you know, kind of talk about them. So there's also been some other recent deaths that have affected both of us as fans, you know, Paul Rubens, uh, Mark Margolis and Angus Cloud. Uh, Rubens, you know, is is an icon in his own right, you know, and passed away oh, probably a little over a week ago now. And while neither of us are, are huge fans of his, it, it, it doesn't feel right to not mention him. Um, Mark Margolis, though, when you send me the text about him, because I always find out <laughs> through you about these people that that pass away. Uh, this is this is Hector Salamanca. You know, this is Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. You know, uh, Vince Gilligan royalty. One of my favorite TV scenes of all time is when he helps Walter White kill Gus Fring. That's like one of the coolest, most badass things ever. So I don't know about you, but that's what I'm going to remember him for is that scene. That yeah, that's pretty much the go-to. That that's his that's his Emmy moment. Just the yeah. glare, you know, last chance to look at me, Hector, yeah. and the glare of just like I fucking got you. And it's 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 all told through the eyes. He had he was so fucking good at that. Yeah. But and on Better Call Saul, he gets to play the pre-stroke Hector, where he was this formidable piece of shit gangster who just commanded the room even then. And I I love that he was able to play both sides of that character so well. And I, I, he was a character actor I had seen in so many different things, but this was, yeah, this was the role he he's going to be remembered for forever. Yeah. He definitely is kind of a, a journeyman, right? He's did, did all kinds of random stuff, but, but yeah, that character, that Hector character. Some of my favorite stuff too, from that character, from his performance is, you know, we get to know him through, you know, being in the wheelchair, being kind of in the, the home, the, um, what do you call it? Um, what do you call those? Uh, <laughs> my, my, gra- my grandma is in one right now. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's where, you know, people can't, you know, uh, survive on their own. What the fuck are those called? Uh, rest, but when he's rest home, it's a rest home. Nursing home. Yeah. It's a nursing home. There we go. Nursing. Yeah. And yeah, he, you know, he's doing the ding, the bing, 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 you know, talking shit to Hank Schrader, all that. But it's it's like the flashback scenes when he's not in the wheelchair when he's when he's Hector you know he's like scary Hector those scenes also stick out in my mind of just how how brutal he was you know uh, he's he's an essential character I was trying to explain to a coworker I was like oh man Mark Margolis died like that sucks he plays like a big character in Breaking Bad and he was like a main character and I was like e- yes and no I mean no like yeah he's not Walter White but he is like one of the most memorable pieces of that entire series. Uh, you know, you you include the whole Albuquerque, you know, Better Call Saul and and Breaking Bad, and like he's one of the faces you think of. He's he's so distinct. Yeah, I think like after the the scene, you know, his his death scene, 
the quintessential Hector scene has got to be the flashback with uh with the cousins. Yeah. And, yeah. When they're kids, you know, just dr- drowning the fucking boy in the cooler and just, you know, teaching him a lesson. Familia es toda. You know, yeah. Just, it's all he's all he has to say. And you're just like, okay, this is how you become the Don of a of a Mexican cartel. <laughs> yeah. You have no soul, no, no love, just cold, calculated power. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. Uh, yeah. The guy, there's not, not too much more we can say about, about him because we, we were both huge fans. So now <clears throat> this other guy, Angus Cloud, this is the most sad because he was 25 and it seems as though he took his own life. <clears throat> and that, you know, that is absolutely brutal. You don't want to ever hear that no matter who, you know, no matter who it is, someone who's in there, you know, younger than you and I are right. Uh, it's like just starting their life really. So, uh, he he was most famous for his 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 one you know real role in television, uh, Euphoria as Fezco, the the drug dealer, and he's excellent in that show. I'm not you know I, I've I've watched both seasons of Euphoria. I'm not crazy about it, but I always have been like Fez, Fez is my guy. Like he's he is the best character, the most consistent, the most to me the most important as far as uh, being entertained and learning about stuff. So. Uh, I always loved him and they just kind of the way he was casted is he was just found on like the streets of New York city. And they're like, that guy has a look like he has a look to him, a fashion to him. And he kind of took that with him. You know, he, he, he got his fame. Uh, he, he got into the TV show and he started kind of stepping out into the fashion world, stepping out into, you know, uh, doing different things with, uh, with different companies, you know, and like modeling, but he's like such, got such a unique look to him, you know? Uh, so I, it's just so sad when when someone sent me a text for that. It, it finally wasn't you. Someone else was like, you know, Angus Cloud has passed away. I was like, man, I mean, twenty five years old is is so horrible. So I know he like a week before had lost his father and then um, took his own life. And so you know, your thoughts have to go only to his mother, to his family. You know, that's like where it has to go. So really, really sad. Well, there's not a huge filmography to you know go back on and look at, but what he did was impactful. And uh, if you haven't seen euphoria, definitely check it out just to watch how talented he is. But, uh, but you know, William Friedkin, this is what was the tipping point for you and I, uh, there was kind of no doubt about it. It's like, we have to talk about this guy. I mean, how many directors have something this special, right? Some like a filmography, this special, this much talent, this wide of a range, you know, 50 years of, of great stuff, weird stuff, you know, uh, all kinds of, all kinds of different stories, all kinds of different genres. Uh, so we, we kind of had to bring them up. Before we, before we do get into Friedkin though, I do want to just say a little bit about Paul Rubens. Of course. Uh, yeah. I've never been, you know, I've, I've, I've never been a big Pee Wee Herman fan. Uh, yeah. It, the whole man child thing just creeps me out in any capacity, whatever that is. I just don't, I don't care for that. Totally but, fair. Um, yeah. Yeah, but he was more than, you know, he was more than Pee Wee Herman. He was a very accomplished character actor. Uh, for me, it's always... He's Mystery always Men? The spleen. Yeah. The spleen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you write a character who has, like, the power of super farts. Who do you cast without making that a complete ridiculous joke? You cast Paul Rubens, who makes it, who get, turns him into this, like, weird, lisping hippie with a heart of gold, who really just you know, wants to help people in his weird way. 
And I love, I love that. I, I love that character. And, um, he also played, um, Penguin's dad in two separate Batman properties, uh, Batman returns very briefly. And then in, on the, uh, Gotham series on Fox, it's pr- pretty cool accolade. So that makes him a pretty cool part of the, the, uh, the DC canon. Super random. Yeah. Yeah. Like both times weird. Like the first <laughs> time it's like, yeah, okay. He probably, you know, did it for Burton as a favor. But the second time they were like, there's only one man who can play, you know, Oswald Cobblepot's father. And that's Paul Rubens. you are mr cobblepot yeah he had apparently been battling cancer for quite some time kept it to himself um was able to say goodbye on um on twitter before he passed he uh he posted this um bring it up right here he posted oh good and isn't twitter called x now I refuse to say it's fucking Twitter. I'm not calling it X. I'm, I'm I, I hear you. I don't have I don't have either. So, <laughs> um, please accept my apology for not going public with what I have been going through the last six years. And it, oh, it was on Instagram, by the way, not Twitter. Oh, um, God. I have always felt a huge amount of love and respect for my fans, friends, and supporters. I have loved you all so much and enjoyed making art for you. Goddamn, man! I mean, to know that. To know you're gone, you're you're gone. You're on your way up. There's nothing you can do. You've kept it from everybody. Only you and probably you know your very close family know that this is the end. Yeah. How do you sum up a lifetime's worth of performance and admiration to the to your to your fans? Like how I I can't imagine being able to like have that that kind of moment of intimacy, you know. A lot of people don't get the opportunity to say goodbye like that. And and he did. And it was just those just those few sentences are incredibly powerful. And uh, yeah, rest in peace. Yeah, simple, simple, but very effective, you know, and like you said, there's like a there's like a certain amount of grace, you know, that he has like on his way out. It's like really special. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I like all the kind of random stuff he's done. I've never been, you know, that's nothing against anybody who cares for it. I just, I, I personally haven't found a connection to like his major works. I definitely like him. I uh, like his supporting stuff. So I, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We had tried to do um, a Pee Wee's big adventure episode last week, kind of impromptu when we found this out and yeah. uh, it just didn't work, you know, planning didn't work. And also, you know, and I, I don't blame you. A lot of people on the team just probably didn't want to fucking watch that movie. I get it. <laughs> 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 I didn't want to watch it, but I, I watched it. And then halfway through, I got the text from who was, you know, the person who was supposed to do it with me. They were like, oh, sorry, I forgot I had something going. And I'm like, okay, I turned it off. I was like, well, I'm not going to watch the rest of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry. I love Paul Rubens, but I, I fucking hated Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> uh, hey, he'd want you to be honest. So I'm glad. I'm glad you are. Uh so I want to I want to kind of you know we'll, we'll be we'll be brief here you know there's no need to go on forever but uh, I I do want to know what's the, what's the thing you're gonna remember most from Friedkin what what is is it Exorcist is it French Connection is it a certain scene like what what do you what, is it Sorcerer is it uh, fucking cruising to live and die in L A I don't know what do you got ah uh, Friedkin um I. It's 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 the Exorcist. It's gonna that's 
that's his masterpiece. I know, I know how much you love the French Connection, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, no, 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 that at all. But <laughs> what he did with The Exorcist is, I mean, he fucking changed horror forever with The Exorcist. That nobody had ever gone that far with this kind of subject matter. I mean, he had people convinced it was real. He had, yeah, like Linda Blair had to tour the talk show circuit and tell fucking idiots in the South, like, I'm not the devil, I'm just a little girl, because people are stupid. But Friedkin made it believable, you know, in 1973, that was a nightmare I and mean, come to life. And it's, it holds up as one of the most incredible oh, horror yeah. ever made. It, yeah. And the guy was so instrumental in crafting like new Hollywood's respect. It was because, you know, you had all these, all these game changers. I've, I've been reading Tarantino cinema speculation and he talks about all of this. So it's like all fresh. So I'm like, Oh good. I can, I can unload a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, the, you know, the arrival <laughs> of the new Hollywood power players, like, you know, Peter Bogdanovich and Norman Jewison and Bob Rafelson and Friedkin. These were guys who grew up loving film and wanted to do something new and creative and weird. And yeah. God knows they did. And one, th- one thing that he points out that I love is that in old Hollywood, the, um, the adaptations that would happen, you know, from like novels and stuff, it was classic stuff like, you know, Moby Dick and Jane Austen and, you know, fucking uh, Thomas Hardy and shit. Like, you know, the stuff you'd be taught in, in, in high school and middle school, the stuff you didn't want to read. These guys adopted popular novels like Jaws and The Godfather and, and the novel Paper Moon was based on. And because they just loved the story, they just thought this was, you know, this is a neat story and this would make a good movie. They weren't, they had nothing to prove. They just wanted yeah. to make something cool. And I respect the fuck out of that. And the, the foundation they laid led to so much amazing shit and so many people not being afraid to pursue the creativity that they, that they had within them. So I am, I'll be grateful to these guys forever for their contribution to cinema. And Friedkin is one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. He is. He is in that class and he might be like the most talented one. You know, he might be the most, his, his range is crazy. His skill, his skill set. The exorcist is definitely his masterpiece. It's definitely the one, you know, and it's, what's crazy is it hits its 50 year anniversary like this year. And, it's such a special movie and i know at the end of the year we're going to try to do something with it we were planning on doing that anyway and now that freaking has passed like we certainly will we'll keep that circled on the calendar to do an exorcist episode and 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 the exorcist you know for what it's worth like what it did you know not only for like pushing boundaries but as much money as it made and as many oscar i think it got 10 oscar nominations that year it was up for best picture and like all these things like it brought quality into horror and, and, you know, I know a lot of people will disagree. Like horror fans will be like, Oh, like we don't need that, but, but you do, you know, you do, you do need things to kind of push your genre into different audiences and to get different people uh, interested in it. So for the exorcist to go, for the exorcist to go up against, you know, this sting at the Oscars is like, it's important because they're mentioned in the same uh, sentence uh, in the same categories. Take it, take it or leave it, but like, I'll take it. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the the Exorcist being crafted the way it was and getting the awards attention it got. I'm, I'm I wonder how many films after The Exorcist might not have gotten funding from major studios because they didn't see the potential. Exactly. Because exactly. The Exorcist was not only was it an awards darling, it was a huge box office success. So 
you got to have that to justify future projects in the same vein. Everything has to have that. You got to have a movie that is wildly successful in a certain genre so that down the road, somebody with money says, this could be the next exorcist. Correct. They might not be true. It might be shit, but you know what? Someone's got to try. And when you try, you get something like Halloween or the omen. And we have those movies because somebody took a chance on this. So you got it. You know, it all, it's all reinforcing each other. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that movie is so important. Uh, it's, it's so good. Like it's still, I still adore it and started a whole franchise, you know, like it's, it, it did what horror does best, like spawn off fucking, you know, 50 movies. That's what it does. And the exorcist is, is still the best of that whole, that whole world. Uh, I love exorcist three, but the, the original is just unbeatable. So a uh, couple years before that though, the French connection comes out and wins best picture beats. Uh, let's see. Uh, last picture show Fiddler on the roof. Parker Orange and Nicholas and Alexandra, the weakest one. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that. Good, good group though overall. You know, uh, it's a it's a it, the '70s Best Picture category has just a ton of gems, just a a bunch of wonderful, wonderful movies. The the year before, it's Padden and you know Five Easy Pieces, like some just awesome, awesome movies that have lasted for over fifty years now. But the French Connection is just it. It's my favorite of his, probably. I, I love The Exorcist, but I, the other day, the other day I watched because uh, the French Connection, I believe, is on the Criterion Channel right now, and I was just kind of like looking through stuff, and I just like watched like ten minutes of it. You know, it's just one of those movies where I can watch clips of it, I can jump in and out, I can rewatch it at any given moment. I'm a, I'm totally obsessed. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But but he, you know, that's not it. You know, I think a lot of people will stop at those two. He's got so much weird, random shit. Like uh, when I was a kid, the movie, the probably the first movie I ever saw of his was uh, Blue Chips, which is a movie starring a basketball movie starring Nick Nolte, Shaquille O'Neal, Penny Hardaway. It's like what from 1994? I want to say, like what, like what in the world? This is the guy who made. I had no idea, you know. Like I was watching a Friedkin directed movie, but um, long story short, I I bought a, a plaque of a basketball player named Bob Cousy who plays a character in, I think he plays himself, in Blue Chips. And uh, it was like an 8 by 10 plaque, and it was signed by Bob Cousy, one of like one of the most important basketball players to ever live. And, you know, I, I still have it somewhere in my closet, right? But it, it had the Blue Chips thing on it. Like, it said Bob Cousy, Blue Chips. Not, not Bob Cousy, Boston Celtic Hall of Famer. It said Bob Cousy, Blue Chips. So, of course, when I bought it, I was like, you know, 11 or 12 uh, with some Christmas money. I was like, I need to see whatever Blue Chips is. So I rented it at Blockbuster and you know, sure enough, I like fell in love with it. I was like, this movie fucking rules. It was a little, it was a little more inappropriate than I probably was supposed to be watching at that age. Uh, but my parents had no idea. They, they thought it was just a basketball movie. And, and yeah, now that was the first time I saw Nick Nolte. And like, I knew who he was, you know, Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway. Love those guys. Uh, but it's a freaking movie. <laughs> and like, it, it goes in the filmography. It goes in this long line of, of his stuff. Um, uh, another one I like a lot is Bug. I think that movie is like wicked, wicked underrated. I want to say 2006. And it is one of like the darkest, nastiest movies y- you can watch. <laughs> it's just, it's, uh, what's the word? Uh, deranged. It's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Where it, it just kind of, this makes you feel like shit, <laughs> you know? And Freakin's so good at that. He's so good at just kind of like bringing you down to the trenches. Like, uh, it's Ashley Judd and Michael Shannon. 
probably my probably like one of my third or fourth favorite Michael Shannon performances. So, uh, the, the Killer Joe, the movie rules. Uh, to live and die in LA, I, I brought up earlier. Sorcerer, cruising. This, this guy's got like ten awesome movies, and uh, you, you, if you like, if you like film, if you like this stuff, you you got like you have to check his stuff out. You have to kind of look past that that initial uh, that initial wave and take all, all of it on because it's there's some gold here. Yeah, he's a he's a director I've always wanted to jump into and just haven't. I I I've I've I've, I've done it a little bit. I have Bug. I own that movie, and I want to. I I've been trying to. Almost, I don't want to say like summon up the courage because I know it's going to be a vicious experience. Yeah, depraved uh, is the word I was thinking of. <laughs> it's yeah, fucked seen, up. Yeah, I've seen clips and just the the concept is so wild. I think like Michael Shannon's like a paranoid schizophrenic who thinks he's being like watched by the government, right? Like yeah, bugs yeah. planted in everything and his, in, in, including in his body. Yeah. I've seen the it's, clip it, where he like pulls his teeth out, and I was just like, "Fucking hell, man!" Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's it's really like I'm like, why was this made? But I but I love it. You know, it's great. That, that one's um on Amazon Prime right now. So anybody who's listening and wants to do kind of like a deeper cut uh, Friedkin movie, definitely check out Bug. Earlier this year, I watched Cruising for the first time. Fuck yeah, yeah. Cruising! And that movie was risky in 1980. To tackle, you know, gay subculture like that in a way that wasn't like, not, I mean, to it, it was to an extent, but not as derogatory as it had been in the past. To take it seriously as like an actual, as actual people, human beings, to have a lead who is struggling with his sexuality. You did not do that shit at that time. Like th- that movie like was, you know, boycotted. It was considered, you know, rep- uh, like taboo and inappropriate. But you know, Al Pacino risked risked a lot starring in that movie, and I thought that you know I thought it was okay. I thought it was a little um, confusing towards the end of like who really yeah. is the killer. Like they tried to imply like oh it was Pacino the whole time, but I'm like that doesn't make sense. But whatever, you know, I I admire what what Friedkin was doing with the film, um, and uh, I've heard Killer Joe is quite a quite an experience quite a ride yeah, yeah that's yeah that that's more that's a more recent friedkin that's like 2011 2012 yeah it, r- ridiculous movie yeah <laughs> and yeah. um my uncle sean he's a huge fan of to live and die in la that's one of his favorite yeah movies. that movie kicks ass yeah i gotta check that one out too so i've got homework for friedkin um, well that's that's defoe and uh willem defoe's in to live and die in LA, and you will love his performance in that movie I, I've never disliked a Defoe performance. I'm always yeah. happy to see him him do his thing. 80s I, Defoe is like, yeah, it's special. <laughs> Something else. <laughs> yeah, talk about a fucking risk taker. Um, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Um, when um, So Friedkin won Best Director for The French Connection. That was his win. And in yeah, the 70s, yeah. I love that it wasn't just like these guys were getting nominated. These guys were getting rewarded for their efforts. And yeah, 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 yeah. Good point. Yeah, that is good. That gave them a little bit more of you know, it it took it made people take them seriously. You know, critics and producers because a lot of these guys were you know they didn't have connections, they didn't have you know money. They were just like, I have a camera, I have a script, and I want to make something cool. And they did, and people paid attention. I mean, in seventy one, or I guess in seventy two. But uh, the seventy-one yeah. Oscars, the uh, the forty-fourth, 
Friedkin defeated John Schlesinger for Sunday Bloody Sunday, Peter Bogdanovich for the Blast Picture Show, Norman Jewison for Fiddler on the Roof, and Stanley fucking Kubrick for A Clockwork Orange. Yeah, what, what a group. A, oh, my God. <laughs> I... I'd love to see a roundtable discussion between the like among those five guys. God damn, what the fi- them talking about the process of filmmaking would? Oh my god! Yeah, it'd be the stuff of it's the stuff of legends, you know. Uh, I don't I don't know if we'll ever quite. I'm not sure like it's possible in like the way the way movies are now. I'm not sure we'll have a class like that ever again. You know, I don't, I don't know if it'll happen again. I think it was like replicated in the '90s, you know. Because it was a bunch of people who were freaks watching this stuff, 60s, 70s stuff. And then they were like, let me do my own thing in the 90s. But I just don't like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really see it now. Um, there's a really interesting book that Chuck Klosterman has right now where he talks about kind of, talks about kind of, kind of how since the internet came around, it's it's like the 30, the past 30 years feels so like, so accessible and like it's not that long ago like people still dress the same from like 1995 to now you know it's a really interesting thought whereas from 1965 to to now people looked very different you know uh adam and i were talking about this like uh not that long ago at all i can't remember but we were having a discussion like just about this kind of stuff just the how fast how fascinating it is that like the way our like culture moves now it kind of, everything kind of like bleeds together and it's just kind of like this m- mash because of the internet, you know? Uh, of course, that brings up a whole different discussion. But my point being, I, I just don't know if we'll like break out of that anytime soon. And it's hard to have like a class of movie of filmmakers because it's hard to break out of that. Like it's hard to, for our, our creative people to break out of that. Yeah. And, you know, we're oversaturated with content these days. Yeah, like, yeah. It's really hard for filmmakers to stand out. I mean, you do have, like, you know, you got your Greta Gerwigs and your Noah Bombacks and your Jordan Peels. Like, the, there are auteurs up and coming yeah. still there with a vision, but they are surrounded by franchises, remakes, streaming, and just yeah. content that never fucking stops. Yeah, whereas like the guys you named, Kubrick, Jusant, uh, you know, Friedkin, these guys, they were popular. They those were the popular guys. Like like 1972, The Godfather was the most profitable movie that year, and it was like looked at as the best piece of art from the entire decade. Maybe and people still look at it now as maybe the greatest movie to ever exist, American movie to be ever made. And it it, it made like millions and millions of dollars, you know, whereas now the movies that get that kind of like, you know, that, that kind of love, like like a movie this year, I think that's going to get a lot of love later on the down the line. That's going to stand the test of time is like past lives. Oh, you know, that movie barely made any money, but it's like one of those movies that's going to stick with people. But like in the 70s, what stuck with people was also what was profitable. It's like it's just one of those things. It's going to be hard to replicate. I paid to see past lives. I helped. Yes, you did. You did. <laughs> you and Adam, you and Adam both, you know, uh, went to bat for that movie and you know, went and saw it and like, that's, that's what it's all about is like trying to like help out the things that you think are important within this art form. Also, I think this is interesting with these franchises. There are definitely exceptions, but like, just take the, the Marvel cinematic universe, for instance, outside of the freaks like you and me who pay attention to every aspect of this shit, who could name the director of any of those movies? Of, of the Avengers movies? 
of any of them, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, any of those oh. movies, like just go to Joe Schmo off the street who like loves comic books. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to be able to know like who who directed Captain Marvel. For, yeah, yeah, I think I think it's a great point. Like like if you said like if you told me and you like we could hang out with John Favreau, we'd be like, oh my god, the genius who started it all. Yeah. Some random guy might be like, is that the guy from uh, that one comedy from 2005? You know, is that the guy from Swingers? You know, like th- that's how they would remember him. But you and I would be like, no, that guy's like a fucking genius. Like <laughs> he's like one of the most important uh, figures of how we look at movies right now, whether it's good or bad. Well, so many franchises are work for hires where they just get somebody who's like an up and coming you know, film student or something who to just helm something or like you know somebody who's looking for quick cash sometimes it's an author sometimes you get like ryan coogler who actually has a vision but it's very rare and you know it's it's hard for for a filmmaker to to kind of make their mark in a world that's just moving so fast and just never stopping to breathe and appreciate these films I mean, you know, that's why I like that we do first thoughts because we get an opportunity to just kind of sit there and talk and think through these new films we're seeing instead of just <clears throat> wiping it clean and focusing on the next one. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a great point because today I was going to see Barbie and Oppenheimer and I was like, no, like that's not not really fair to both movies for me. It's not, it's not about, you know, racking up numbers. It's about, you know, giving each film its, its due diligence and paying attention correct and and while of course like there's different rates of how people watch because of because of time or or uh you know past and whatever it may be um depending on your job depending on what hours you you keep but there's there, there's always room to let stuff digest you know no matter who you are if you watch if you watch one movie a week one movie a day whatever it is two movies a day there's always time in between to like let it rest and let it like let it ride like let it have its time especially Especially something you're seeing for the first time, you know, whether it be like an old, you know, maybe you're watching fucking blue chips for the first time. Like, let it, let it, let it happen. Maybe you're watching Oppenheimer for the first time. Let it, let it ride. Let that, let that experience like sit in. So the whole double feature thing, I was like, no, nah, I'm going to scratch that. So we saw Barbie, you know, a few hours ago, loved it. Thought it was fantastic. And tomorrow I'm going to try to see um, Oppenheimer. So that's to me. How I wanted to treat it today was about Barbie. I let it hit me and it hit me like a fucking, you know, bag of rocks. You know, I was crying at the end and with Oppenheimer, I expect to, to be rocked in a different way. Well, every time we lose one of these, you know, these power players from a, from a bygone decade, I feel like the speed of, of art goes a little faster. Like we're losing Mm. a little bit of that anchor every time we lose one of these guys. Yeah, I guess I guess I guess a good way to kind of close this this conversation is if you're listening and to both to and to me and you watch Sorcerer, watch watch Cruising, rewatch The Exorcist and give it some time. Like let it breathe, respect it, put it on a pedestal if you want to, you know? Let it let it be its own thing, let it be a piece of art that's going to change your day, you know? It can happen, I promise. <laughs> That shit can fucking happen. You watch Exorcist at 10 p.m. by 12:30, you're gonna be like, "Wow, what?" I mean, I came out a different person than I did <laughs> when I started. And that's the whole point of it, right? Sure. I'd like to. I'd like to close on a um, a quote by William Friedkin that I found that just makes me love the guy and his process. 
Apparently, I don't know when he said this, but according to brainyquote.com, which I've always found to be pretty reliable with this thing, technique is of less interest than character and story. God bless. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> that is beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Uh, heart. Heart. Heart is like one of the things I always think of when I think of Friedkin. Like he's got, he's putting it out there. Vulnerability. Putting out, you know, just allowing allowing kind of his taste to be known, his influence to be known, but also he's got his own style. You know when you're in a freaking movie. Damn straight. Damn straight. And he also said, I really think that sex always looks kind of funny in a movie. So <laughs> dude had a great sense of humor, too. Uh, <laughs> it does. <laughs> he's right. <laughs> it's a filler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I... I don't like that we have to that we you know got to do these, but it's worth talking about you know doing our little kind of memoriam in our own way, celebrating these guys' contributions to our lives, and sending them off. You know, I I don't want to call this like last thoughts, but you know it's kind of what it is. Yeah, it kind of is until he gets brought up again, right? Or until yeah. I watch fucking Breaking Bad again and I see Hector Solomon and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that dude you know it's that's that's the way it is you know it's the only only truth that we have is we're all we're all gonna leave at some point and it's important to give them their flowers when they're here but also remember them when they're gone so that's what we're doing damn right uh i hope we don't have to do another one of these next week but at the rate we're losing people we probably yeah. will yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's brutal well this was i don't want to say fun but uh I I had a good time. Yeah, reflective for sure. Reflective, yeah. Uh we'll have um content for you this week as always and uh take it easy.